Welcome to the Left Hook Larry podcast. I'm Greg Checklin and I'll be joined alongside Ewan Chapman. We'll be discussing some of the latest UFC unboxing news. We'll give you our reactions to some of the biggest fights and much, much more. You and how you been, mate? Yeah, I'm not too bad, Greg. You know, recovering from the late night slash early morning, getting up to watch the fights. But, you know, it's part and parcel of being a fan of of the fights. And, you know, how they now take us around the world. How have you been? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I always find it's a bit of a pain, obviously, having to set your alarm at God knows what time in the morning. But I always feel like it sort of makes the fight, a little bit more interesting in a way it gives it sort of a different energy and um i actually sort of enjoy it in, in a sort of weird way and i think we've all just become used to it now so definitely is part and parcel of the game oh definitely and that's the thing i mean i remember being eight nine years old and my dad waking me up at three four in the morning to watch ricky hatton fights i remember oh, being down on the sofas snuggled up in duvets all <laughs> excited and then as by the time the fight came on i was fast asleep but yeah you know luckily now i can have a bit of caffeine and a bit of coffee to keep me up um yes exactly you never forget those memories absolutely right well um we better get started then yeah all right let's crack on checks <laughs> So we've obviously got to start with UFC 257 and the main event. Um, so firstly, I just want to ask, what was your immediate reaction and sort of how did this fight play out versus what you genuinely expected or predicted before the fight? Um, I feel like probably myself and most people were Conor mcgregor by Conor McGregor. You know, we ate up everything that he was going to say to us, you know, he he sold us down the river and then what he delivered wasn't conor mcgregor you know looking back on the conor mcgregor that knocked out jose aldo in 13 seconds and the conor mcgregor that destroyed eddie alvarez it it was a different man it it was almost like you were watching a, a man that has made over 100 million and hasn't got that same hunger to fight anymore and and watching mm-hmm. Dustin be able to stand up to him and and take his power it was humbling a humbling experience I thought he just looked in incredible shape in the build up to the fight and that's something which really sort of stumped me after the fight um I you know I think you can never sort of count Dustin out but I was just looking at McGregor and he looked focused um Yes, obviously, you know, with McGregor, you're getting all the extra sort of flash and, you know, the flashy cars and, and the nice suits and things like that. But overall, I think he, he came across as pretty focused. He certainly was taking his conditioning seriously. Um, and, and let's not forget, like, this is a division that McGregor, I think, 
is his, it's probably his best division in terms of where he actually fits weight wise. Um, so, I mean, I, I sort of didn't really understand um, where the ex, the excuses were coming from in, in sort of lack of ring rust. To be honest with you, he just didn't really look good enough overall. See, I, I felt fooled because Connor had, had said himself, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't feel ring rust. And everyone had said, Connor doesn't feel ring rust, including experts like Dan Hardy. Connor doesn't feel ring rust the same as other fighters and i think i i believe that and i was buying into that but i think it proved that connor is exactly the same as every other fighter he isn't this mm -hmm. bigger than life figure that that we all play him out to be and i think mm -hmm. that fight just proved that because i for me i feel like lack of ring experience played a massive factor into that fight because mm -hmm. the connor on his way up in the featherweight division that knocked out Dustin Poirier wasn't the same Connor that we saw in that fight. Mm -hmm. I mean, you say it wasn't the same Connor. It certainly looked as if that was the case because even his, his sort of fighting stance, it was very sort of um, sort of square, like square on compared to how he, he used to fight. Um, definitely taking a more boxing approach. Um, do you think that possibly, you know, his extra boxing training, particularly with it coming out now that potentially there was a fight with Manny Pacquiao after this. Do you think that sort of boxing focus played a role in how he decided to fight? I, I think whether it was the fight with Mayweather, whether it's his own confidence to believe that boxing is the only tool that he needs and and well not even boxing just his left hand is that the only tool he needs i feel like that is partly what he was believing he could just count on and if you look at his actual performance in the fight i'm not claiming to be the best analyst but as a boxer i feel like i can understand seeing someone that's taken a boxing approach in an mma fight it was completely wrong and 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 you know, there were there were clear signs that he was losing the fight. There was clear signs that he was getting caught in places that he'd never been caught before. And I think it was just becoming obvious throughout the fight that he was relying way too heavily on his boxing stance because realistically, when you're getting that low and you're not bringing your feet in and you're getting caught every time you're trying to overreach with your left hand, I mean, does that even show good boxing? Because realistically, how many boxers would be able to adjust to a situation like that? You see, five, like uh, world-class boxers would be able to adjust. Mm -hmm. They'd be able to move their feet. They'd be able yeah. to pull in and out. He wasn't able to do that. So whether it's mm -hmm. even an over-dependence on boxing or just showing that he isn't able to adapt to what's presented to him in a fight, I feel like that plays a massive role. If it, if it's not going one way for him, then it's not, then he's not able to win the fight. Yeah, I, I completely completely agree with that because I think adaptability is something which he's shown that in general he doesn't really have. Um, I think one criticism of McGregor over over the years has been the fact that he is sort of a little bit one dimensional in his nature. Um, you know, it's that classic one two and that quick left hand, and if you know, the opponent isn't going down instantly the first time he connects. He can see, you know, I think he sort of gets a, a little bit sort of put off by that. And I think it then it gets into his head, well, you know, what if I don't have the power to actually finish 
you know, Diaz or uh, Khabib or whoever he is he's fighting, um, you know, and if their opponent can sort of, if his opponent can sort of uh, read that and figure it out, there's really, you know, if he's not using his kicks like he wasn't, there's not really that much else to his boxing game. And if he is going to completely rely on his boxing, you know, at least make it a little bit less one-dimensional and not just have that sort of one-two, you know, jab straight that he, that he throws a lot. Um, and I think, you know, Poirier was just able to read that. And once he'd sort of taken it on the chin uh, and showed Connor that, you know, he could take his best punch, it was quite clear that Poirier's boxing was, was far, far superior. And I think that's probably the most worrying thing to take out of this fight for Connor because... When he'd been beaten previously, it was all about, um, you know, him being out-wrestled or, you know, just submitted or, or some other facet of the game where he's clearly not good enough. But to be beaten on the feet like that and just straight up, you know, knocked out, no doubt. It, yeah. it, it's really, really, like, it's tough to see where he goes from here, to be honest how, with you. How many of us would have predicted that Connor would have been finished on oh, his feet by no, Poirier? No, no one, no one. And, uh, and that's I, the thing. I, mean, yeah. I feel like Poirier is such an unconventional boxing style that you, you feel unassuming. You don't suspect him of being the the mm -hmm. beast in there that he is, and he does certain things so well, which he showed in that fight. Which you know he was able to ride those shots from Conor, and, and it looks sloppy. It looks like he's getting hurt because he's falling back. But what he's actually doing is moving back and riding with shots. And as you see, mm -hmm. fighters like Canelo are able to ride out shots like that. And that's why they don't hurt them. Mm -hmm. And it just shows his, mm -hmm. although it's not the most beautiful boxing style to watch, he, he does have a really good knowledge of the game. And, and to mm -hmm. know what to do just to, just to get through it and to, and to take that power from Connor mm -hmm. and to come back and, and to dominate him but the, yeah. the question for me is why do, why can connor not face the adversity that other fighters can face because he said the the leg kicks were this major factor in the fight and limited him but then i mean two weeks before we watched max holloway versus calvin cater the beating that calvin cater took mm -hmm. all all over his body and he was able to stand he was able to fight the whole way through why is connor not able to do that like like other fighters and and is exactly as we saw in the nate diaz one fight why why can he not stand up when someone's really standing standing back up to him mm -hmm. yeah actually that's a really good point um i think you do see that yeah it's like like i was just saying you know if if his opponent shows that they can take that one, two and that big left hand, he almost sort of thinks, well, what now? Uh, like, where do I go from here? Like that is, you know, it, that is my best punch. Yeah. And if my best, if my well, best punch isn't working. Yeah. He's banked completely yeah. in on it. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And if you're getting a guy who is super durable, like Dustin Poirier is, um, you know, they're, they're not all like Nate Diaz or Khabib or anyone like that. They're not just going to, you know, obviously walk into his left hand. And even if they do, the chances are they're going to stay on their feet and they're going to get through it. And it's just, yeah, he doesn't really seem to have much of a plan B at the moment. And I think that's the worrying thing. And, you know, obviously his wrestling isn't good enough. Uh, his jiu-jitsu isn't, isn't good enough. I don't think it will ever be as, as, like, as good as everyone else. Um in that division so yeah that's the real real uh bit that i sort of struggle to see with connor in terms of where he goes 
Um, but I just want to obviously not just focus on Connor because I think that's a really easy thing to do. But Poirier, um, I think what really I think shocked me like leading up to this fight is that I was looking at his body language and he just looked like he didn't want to be there. And yet when it came to the fight, he just turned it on. And I think he said himself, he really sort of needs that fire of like getting hit to yeah sort of light the fire within him and for him to sort of go like bite down in his mouthpiece and just go for it um but it was just like i was seeing these two different body languages between him and mcgregor with mcgregor seeming confident and calm and i thought poirier looked a bit agitated before the fight but obviously it definitely didn't turn out turn out that way um dustin needs to get hit in the face to get his engine going yeah definitely and you know i i think i i saw exactly the same thing going into it i I watched connor be connor to walk in there and you got to think for dustin you can i you can completely understand why he's going in there what he must have been going through because he was on this meteoric rise along with connor mcgregor and was completely derailed then he had to get himself back on that track and fight his way back to back to where he is and now to go back up against that guy that completely whitewashed you and to go in there what must have been going through his head this whole fight camp because as much as he's a fighter and he's a great ballsy fighter he still feels fear like the rest of us and he must have still had those doubts And and i think that's what you saw on the ring walk is the same doubts that every other person has, but he's a fighter. He faces adversity. Mm-hmm. And when he was in that ring, he showed that he wasn't just going to back down. I completely agree. Um, do you think he deserves a rematch, Connor? I don't think it's the fight I would want to see next. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think, for me, that was comprehensive enough of a victory where... It wasn't as if Connor had a really, really dominant first round. He still got taken down. He still got connected on. I mean, he looked like he landed with the better punches, but I feel like that was just Dustin riding it out. So for me, I wouldn't want to see Connor just go straight back in there with Poirier. I would want to see Poirier going on to fight for the bout, whether that's against Khabib, whether that's against Oliveira. And I want to see Connor versus Nate free both shed off all their ring, ring rust, both get back in there. It's a fight that is just so great for the sport, just two mm-hmm. amazing clashes of personalities and backgrounds. I don't see why that fight can't be made now with the two UFC megastars. Chandler versus Hooker. I mean... I really, that was definitely a shock in my books. I mean, I guess it's always a thought of the unknown when, uh, you know, a top guy comes in from um, another organization, obviously Ben Askren being the other main one that didn't quite go to plan. Um, But this fight, just honestly, it actually baffled me, to be honest with you. Um, Hooker just seemed to freeze. He really backed off he didn't use his uh his reach advantage 
challenges walk forward and I think he really proves how dangerous he is and and I think the sort of cliche or stereotypical American wrestler with a big right hand um they've he sort of proved exactly how effective that can be and Hooker just didn't have an answer for it essentially well I feel like you need to hold on there I feel like you are giving a lot of credit to Chandler here but who was that Dan Hooker that who was that? Oh man? yeah, no, I completely. I that completely was not agree. the same uh, Dan just, Hooker that yeah. we have seen time in and time out. That was not the same guy that fought Dustin Poirier. I don't know what happened. No. And that brings into question: How has he recovered from that Dustin Poirier fight? Because obviously he had to dig to the mm. bottom of the well and fight. You know. Everyone says, and it's a bit of a cliche, but you can only dig to the bottom of that well so many times. Has he just lacked the ability to get back there, or or is he still struggling from the psychology of of that of that fight with Poirier? Because for me, that wasn't the Dan Hooker that we know mm. that can stand there and trade and fight with anyone. Yeah, and that's why I don't want to give Chandler the credit too much because obviously it was a sensational knockout and an incredible performance but was that against opposition that wanted to fight him back because judging from how he mm. stepped in there he wanted no piece of it oh no he, he absolutely did not want to be there it, it just you could see the look on his face um it really just looked like yeah he, he really had nothing to fight for um, and it was obviously quite apparent after the fight that, I mean, it looked like he was retiring. I mean, he took his gloves off. Um, so that was a really sort of interesting turn up for the books. But I just cannot explain it. I mean, just looking at the fight itself, um, I, I watched it again earlier. And it, it just seemed like such a basic, basic or fundamental mistakes that he was making in terms of he just kept circling to the to his right to obviously try and invade that big right hand. Um, he just kept circling and circling and circling. And obviously then Chandler thought, well, why don't I just throw a left hook at him? And one left hook was all, was all she wrote, essentially. Uh, that's all it took. And it just seemed like such a basic fundamental striking error for a guy that has shown his ability to strike with some of the best strikers in the world. And having that reach advantage as well. Um, you know, Chandler is an explosive guy, but I mean, you surely you've got to be ready for him to just sort of explode like that and to quite obviously throw a left hook if you're just going to keep circling to the right. Um, and yeah, even his ability to to not actually take the punch. I mean, some of the, the shots he's taken in previous fights, um, you, you just wonder whether he's taken one too many uh, and that's actually not done him too good for his sort of long-term future fighting career. Yeah. And I, and I think I think also like you look at Dan Hooker's career and he's obviously this he he obviously is a great fighter and you know you've seen some of the guys he's beat, you know, when he beat Paul Fowler, uh when he beat Ally Quinter, when he beat James Vick, these are all great wins for him, but then he's lost against top guys in top matchups, you know, losing to Dustin Poirier, losing to Edson Barboza, losing, you know, back in the past to Yair Rodriguez. When he's actually stepped up to the plate, he's lost the fights. And I think going into this fight, has he known that 
he's not quite at the elite level to get that title. So has that just then caused him to to crumble in the moment, or or is it, or is he just kind of finally realised now that he's just a fringe fighter? He's just almost good enough to be world elite, but he's not quite there. It's a good point. I just, I yeah, I really, really find it so puzzling though. I mean, I, I was there in uh, in Melbourne, Australia, watching Dan Hooker fight Ally Quinta, and it was an absolute clinic. He uses distance. Um, he uses reach advantage on, you know, you look at Aya Quinta and he's probably a similar sort of fighter to Michael Chandler, albeit, you know, uh, not as accomplished, but essentially, you know, that was the exact fight that, that's sort of how I saw this fight playing out, just like the Aya Quinta fight. And I think a lot of people did as well. Um, and so it's so, so puzzling to, to have watched that fight live and to then watch this fight which seems like a similar matchup on paper and to just have it yeah play out completely differently to what i expected um i just want to ask you though what, what like where do you think this sort of puts michael chandler in terms of the top lightweights in the world i want to see michael chandler back in there with someone that's going to stand up to him and that's the thing i feel like it it didn't give us enough to learn about Michael, you know, I want to see him get in there with someone like Justin Gaethje off the back of a performance like that. Someone that's really going to stand up to him, going to be able to wrestle with him and going to be able to throw bombs with him and see see how he stands up because Justin Gaethje's proved that he is a world-class fighter. So I want to see someone that's really going to stand toe-to-toe with him and throw. And I think then, going from a fight like that, I would happily watch Michael Chandler, if he comes through it, fight for a world title. But at the minute, going off on a off a performance like that, which is obviously impressive, but he didn't face the adversity. He didn't face a, a game opponent, judging from what we saw. I, I don't think that's enough to say that he can go straight into a title shot. And and I wouldn't say it's enough to go and fight Dustin Poirier next. For me, if I'm Dustin Poirier, I'm thinking, give him give him more time. Give him another fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Let him no, prove that he's worthy of that fight with me. Because Dustin Poirier is a money man now. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he's the guy to beat, really. Um, obviously, we've got Charles Oliveira as well, who I think has still gone a bit under the radar despite what he did to Tony Ferguson. Um, I mean, obviously, Tony Ferguson now just looks a little bit, well, he's, he's he's pretty much finished, isn't he, really? So I guess, you know, would like to see Oliveira in there with, you know, one of these other top lightweights, maybe him versus Gaethje or some, some kind of matchup like that. Um, but really, I mean, those are the top guys, really, when, when it comes down to it. Um, and I think, really, although it was an impressive performance, like you say, it's, it's going to be a real test for him when he comes up against one of the top, top guys. Um, and I think Hooker... How can of... you write off Al-Kakui? <laughs> oh, come on. He's finished. He's absolutely finished. I mean... Surely that fight versus Khabib is still one we just want to no, see completed. No, no, no. I mean, it, do uh, we want to leave it on unfinished business? I mean, you can say that he's he's past his best, but that is still a fight that we could see, and I'd still happily pay to watch. Oh, I'd pay to watch any day. I just think it's really not the fight that we would have got a couple of years ago, or. You know, however long it was, like when we tried to set up the <laughs> if, first fight. If it had ever happened. Yeah, it, it's just, I think Tony just looks old now, though. That, that's the problem, really. 
Uh, and I think, you know, Khabib just seemed like, well, I think that that was the real shame is that in his last fight, basically looked like he was in the prime of his life and essentially retired in his prime. And that's the sort of yeah. sad, but I guess also quite happy way in which he's finished his career because, you know, he's not become one of those fighters that stayed far too long, which you often see in, in UFC and boxing. Um, so... I mean, yeah, it's potentially the only fighter we've ever seen come out on top of the game. Pretty like, much. truly on Pretty top much, of the game. Yeah. yeah, with no question, like, at all about who's the king. It's just not even really close. And I think that's what I was going to say as well in terms of the problem is that Chandler, I just don't think, you know, it's, it's he's not good enough to make Khabib come back, I don't think. I don't think Khabib would have been watching that on Fight Island and thinking oh, you know, he's the guy to really challenge me. Um, it, it's just not, yeah. I mean, if we go in wrestler versus wrestler, Khabib's going to win that 10 times out of 10, unfortunately. Um, so, unfortunately, yeah, he's he's not really going to be, you know, making Khabib sit up in his seat thinking, oh, I want to fight that guy. No, I, I mean, that's the thing is, who, like, realistically, who even touches Khabib? Because that well, fight, well, that fight between, I mean, but it's easy to say. Potentially. It's easy to say. Potentially. But, I mean, he has proved time and time again, and you can unanimously say it now, he is levels above the rest of them. And you watch hmm. how he destroyed both Poirier and McGregor, and yet Poirier can go in there and go toe-to-toe and knock mm-hmm. out McGregor. Oh, yeah, how, absolutely. How is Khabib so capable of just wiping the floor with the rest of these guys? Uh, yeah, it baffles me as well, to be honest with you. I, I think the only thing that intrigues me about Oliveira, though, is just watching him fight Tony, the, the ease at which he was able to control him and the way he just makes everything that he does look so, so effortless. I would just love to see how that like sort of grappling contest would play out between him and Khabib. And, you know, probably the chances are it would be the same as always. You know, Khabib would would find a way to sort of put him up against the cage, drag him down and, you know, slowly, slowly wear him down. But there's just a slight sort of thought in the back of my mind thinking, well, what if that doesn't happen? And, you know, he's able to actually prove his, you know, amazing jiu-jitsu and his amazing incredible technique that he's got and I think that just sort of just plays out in the back of my mind I'm thinking yeah maybe he is the guy because I think it's quite clear from here it's not going to be some uh, heavy-handed wrestler it's not going to be a guy who's like super good on the feet because he's going to get taken down so maybe it will be somebody who has incredible jiu-jitsu who's the person that's able to to stop Khabib I don't know it just no one's really fought him like that oh Greg you have done the thing <laughs> that we have done on every single Khabib fight. We we have doubted. We have doubted. I just want to believe. I want to believe that's the problem. Khabib. And every fight, he has ragdolled these men, these big, <laughs> fully grown men across that octagon. Uh, and I feel like you've got to just accept <laughs> that you cannot stop this man. The eagle is. <laughs> on a different planet that man yeah. could break through a bloody log a big old log 
<laughs> big old Russian log. Yeah, big old Russian yeah. log. He, no, he beats up bears. I that look. man beats up bears. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, unless it's a bear, I think he's not going to come out of retirement, really. No. A rematch with the grizzly bear, now it's fully grown. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd pay to watch that. Yeah. I would definitely pay to watch that, that's for sure. I just want to look ahead to some of the future fights that have been announced recently. Um, one of those which definitely caught my eye was Stipe versus Francis Ngannou 2. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I feel a little bit on the fence about this one because one part of me is is really excited um, because, I mean, it's Francis Ngannou fighting, you know, why wouldn't you be excited? And it's for the title. Um, but a lot of me just sort of sees this going the same way because, you know, I don't think he's had enough time to basically improve in those areas of his wrestling, which were clearly a massive weakness in the first fight. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a little bit unsure about this one. How do you see this going? Right, uh, yeah. For me, I mean, we can see how Stipe was still troubled in the first fight, in the <laughs> in the first fight by what Francis was throwing at him. And that's the thing with Francis is that you're never going to be able to switch off. The threat is always there. And the question you have to ask is who's improved most since the first time that they got in there and we've seen Stipe go in you know he lost to DC then he came back with the two wins and he's a skinny little man now he has shrunk down whereas there is nothing that has shrunk down about Ngannou he is a beast and I can tell you one thing for certain that Francis would not have been Stipe's first pick for a fight because he's just such a scary such a devastating man mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, whether he's improved enough in his wrestling is the question. But he is still the freak of nature that he always has been. And if not, even more so. Yeah, I think that definitely. I mean, you're right about you just can't take your eyes off it, can you really? I mean, when you're watching a Francis fight, because it, it could be over and around. Well, it could be over in the fifth round. That you man is know. a freak. Yeah, he, he's an absolute freak of nature. Um, and I think in some ways, I think Stipe sort of enjoys fighting him in a sort of weird way because it's all about Francis, you know, and it's sort of like, because Stipe is a sort of quite a normal character and I think his fights are obviously exciting, but he sort of needs to be in there with the right, the right guy to produce an exciting fight. Whereas, you know, most of the time, apart from obviously the Derek Lewis fight, um, Francis's fights are just so exciting. And, you know, I think because I think you, it's quite clear to see that Dana wants Francis to be the heavyweight champion. Um, I think it really sort of takes the limelight off Stipe and he can just go out there and say, you know what, if I get knocked out, I'll probably retire as the best UFC heavyweight champion of all time. And I'll just ride off into the sunset. So it's it's almost, you know, because he's proven himself so much at this stage, I think Stipe, although it's such a scary task, really, when you look at it physically, he really doesn't go in there with any pressure on him. And I think, paradoxically, you're looking at Francis Ngannou, a guy who really does need to prove himself to prove that he's actually good enough to beat Stipe and actually become the heavyweight champion because I think it's an absolute tragedy that he's not. I mean, he's just got... I mean, everybody wants him to be heavyweight champion because he's so exciting oh, to watch. 
He is the big money show. Look at the guys that he is for and be. He is since that loss to Stipe, lost to Derek Lewis in that absolute tragedy of a fight, went on and beat Curtis Blades in the rematch, went on, wiped the floor with Cain Velasquez, then goes on, knocks out Junior Dos Santos, and then Rosenstruck. What a run that is, and what scary, scary men they all are. Would Stipe have had the same results about against those four men? I would argue he, he wouldn't. So, for me, Francis is the better fighter at the minute. I think that's a real, real big call. I'm not, I'm not so sure about that, to be honest, because I think if you look at the guys that he's faced, I mean, I think there's quite a strong argument that DC would beat Francis in at his peak, and for him to have beaten DC twice um, at heavyweight, and we know how good DC is at heavyweight. I think that just he likes his fried chicken. Really just cement him. He definitely does. Uh, it was quite clear to see he should never have been fighting at light heavyweight. I don't know <laughs> what he was doing. Um, he was just better at heavyweight, um, and it's. I think it's, it's sort of a shame that obviously we've not got to see him versus John at heavyweight. And I guess that sort of brings me on to my next question, which is: Does John Jones fight the winner? I mean, we have all seen the clips and the pictures of this new blown up huge John Jones. But John Jones, as tall as he is, his frame has never been that wide. And I question whether John Jones even thinks he's big enough. Or, uh, I mean, especially against a man like Francis Ngannou, who is a huge, mm. huge man. John Jones has I mean, look at his legs. legs. Yeah, yeah. Look at his legs. Look at the I mean, it's one, legs. one kick, <laughs> one kick. I mean, he's going to be out for for years, isn't it? I mean, like, God, even one of uh, Dustin Poirier's kicks would probably would probably finish him. I know. I mean, yeah, they are so thin. And the, but the thing is, <laughs> I do not doubt John Jones probably will fight the winner because Dana White would absolutely love it, and what a huge mega fight that would be. Uh, and there is something brilliant about watching John Jones in adversity because oh, yeah. for as <laughs> much as a great fighter he is, his antics outside the ring make us all want to watch him really in a tough fight and be up against it. And I feel like the, the only challenges that are really, really going to push him are up at heavyweight. So, so of course, that's the fight I want to say. Yeah, I mean, actually, that's a good point because I think a lot of the the reason that I'm drawn to his fights is because I just want to see him getting knocked out. Uh, I mean, really, yeah, I think I, think I can speak for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, Cause I mean, we know like, let's be honest, he's not a good guy. He's just not a good guy. And you no. know, the, the way that he sort of, yeah, obviously violated, you know, you saw the rules and clearly just given no respect to the fighters and the way that he's fought um you know with the eye pokes and everything like that i just i don't like him as a guy and i think i speak on behalf of a lot of people when i say i would, I would absolutely love him to get knocked out to be honest with you which is you know <laughs> we we all don't like him as a guy no but yeah, he is a phenomenal no. fighter and it's it is gut-wrenching to have to admit yeah absolutely um i guess we have to talk about it sort of but 
I'm gonna quickly ask you your thoughts on the Jake Paul Ben Askren boxing fight, which has been announced. I mean, I can't really get my head around it to be honest. You haven't got. I, I can't bro. really get my head around what is happening. <sighs> I mean, I think the thing that annoys me is that. I can genuinely see Jake Paul having a chance of winning this fight. And oh. that is just, that is not going to be good for the MMA community, really, in general. Um, that just, yeah, that sort of terrifies me. And it's going to be one of them things where everyone will say, oh, you know, no one's going to watch this, but people will. People will definitely watch everyone it. Everyone has their eyes on it, you know, just like they did with the Nate Robinson fight. We all absolutely. have our eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you might not pay for it, but you'll find a clip somewhere after the fight. You know, you want to see the knockout or whatever happens. Um, and yeah, that's the thing. It really does worry me and concern me that this genuinely could not be good for Ben Askren. I mean, he's shown that he doesn't really have any boxing skill. So I don't really know how he approaches this fight, um, even against a guy who is obviously really just an amateur fighter, really, who's decided to fight professionally. Um, but, you know, for for the kind of, you know, in, in spite of the, the sort of character that Jake Paul is, you know, he can, he's got some techniques to the shots he's throwing and probably There's more no technique than, than Askren has got, unfortunately. Mm. And that's the thing. I mean, the fights that we've seen Ben Askren in, in the UFC, I mean, we haven't even been able to see his stand-up inside of the UFC because the fight against Robbie Lawler, ended up all on the ground. And the fight against Jorge Masvidal, he was knocked out cold with a knee. So we don't know how good this guy's stand-up game is. How good is he at boxing? Yeah. The only thing we do know is he's amazing at wrestling, which does not help in this fight at all. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, is, is Jake Paul, as much as it pains me to say, he has some boxing ability and probably has better boxing ability than a trained fighter. It's, but that's yeah. because the trained fighters only trained in wrestling. It just baffles me, though. I mean, surely, yes, obviously, boxing is so important to MMA. Like, everybody knows that. But one of the first things you do, throw a jab, you know, throw an overhand right. I mean, that's the fundamentals of fighting in general, you know, regardless of, of you know, obviously not just in boxing, but in fighting, you know, whether it be a street fight, a cage fight, any sort of fight you're in, if you can't throw a jab and a right hand, and you know, a left hook or whatever, you're like, what are you doing? I mean, surely he's had enough training, you would think, Ben Askren, of just how to throw a punch, essentially, even you, if he doesn't punch in hope. fights. You would hope. But... <laughs> What you've got to remember is this isn't a man that's from the age of nine, the age of 10, like a lot of these fighters, that'd be in a sweaty gym, practicing their stand-up, working on boxing, working on kickboxing, working on Muay Thai. This is a man that is amazing at his one game, and that is being on the mat and wrestling. So he's really, he as well is a novice to the world of stand-up. So it ultimately is a, a fight between two novices, and the main thing for me is, was Ben Askren the main choice for Jake Paul? He is, the, he is stepping up as a substitute for Dylan Dennis. 
But that's the thing. Jake Paul isn't picking on these guys that know their stand-up. I feel like this shows that Jake Paul knows his limits because he's picking on fighters, but he's picking on fighters that don't have a stand-up game. And uh, it's a smart move because all it does is increases his reputation. But yeah. at the end of the day, for us that are in fighting and understand the, you know, the understand fighting and the levels that go to it, you know, these guys aren't stand-up fighters, and I don't expect them to have an incredible stand-up game. I obviously expect them to have a, you know, a stand-up game in general, you know, because they have to practice. But you know, we 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 can understand that Dylan Dennis isn't calling out the the amazing boxes. I've uh, sorry, Jake Paul isn't calling out these amazing boxes. I feel like he understands his own limitations. Yeah, uh, look, I don't blame him for it at all. Um, I would do the exact same thing. You know, if get I was a, if I was him, get your money, get in there, get out, um, don't get hit. You know, <laughs> preserve your brain. Yeah, and, uh, that is a good idea. Yeah, and move on to the next thing. Um, but yeah, I don't think I can talk any more about Jake Paul. To be honest with you, I think that's probably where we'll wrap it up for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Left Up Larry podcast. We'll be trying to put a podcast out every single week. I hope you have a great day. 